0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keen On, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is January the 24th, 2023. Uh, welcome back to Keen On. You may be listening, you may be watching, and for people who are only listening to this, it might be slightly challenging. Um, we're being very visual today. My guest um, is the founder of McCullman & Sh- uh, Co. Uh, he's one of the Bay Area's leading graphic artists. Um, he, uh, he's done some wonderful work, and he has a new book out, Illustrated Black History, Honoring the Iconic and the Unseen. Fortunately, we get to see uh, George McCalman. He's in Grenada today, um, visiting his relatives. He's usually based in the Bay Area. Um, George, welcome. Great to see you. Uh, George, what would you say? We're, we're going to show a lot of images um, in mm-hmm. this show because your book is an illustrated black history. Um, yes. But it's also got a lot of interesting text. <laughs> How would you try to explain this book to the blind, to, to, to podcast listeners who aren't able to see you or see these images?
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to be here. And to the initiated, this is a book that celebrates 400 years of the existence of this country through the eyes of its um, black citizens and its black pioneers it's in a nutshell
0: yeah uh but there have been many books about this history, a, a history marked by profound injustice, a, an enormously controversial and problematic history but mm-hmm. in, in terms of this illustrated history i mean you're a you're a yes. you're an artist, George, so obviously the visual naturally comes to you but mm-hmm. what would you say about the images and, and and we'll see some of them the images that you're Trying um, and, and people listening to this are not going to see these images, the incredible mm-hmm. images of, of, of many of the leading, most interesting African-American uh, citizen, Americans uh, in history. What would you say to the, the people who aren't able to see this book? How would you describe it in terms of images?
1: Well, I conceptualize this book as an access point for people who are both interested in history and not interested in history. Um, You know, history is often intellectualized, and so it can sometimes feel not accessible to the everyday person. And what I wanted to do was create a package that would be, frankly, pretty enough for you to pick up and not think it was homework until you opened up the book to really read the stories on the inside to see how kind of substantive um, and rigorous the research and writing is around this Book, but I created it the visuals to basically lead the everyday person into um opening the opening his pages.
0: Uh, one of my favorite entries uh is the one on James Baldwin, wonderfully mm-hmm. written, but also you represent Baldwin um beautifully. Um you. in your In your work, I mean, some of these characters, you have many. I mean, how many do you have in the book? You've got... uh, So there are
1: 145.
0: 145. So this is a serious project. And I assume some of those 145 you didn't know much about. When you were working on them, George, did you find that you learned about them more when you were drawing them? Or did you have to learn about them before drawing them? Or was it sort of symbiotic in the drawing and the reading? That's a fascinating um,
1: question because initially I had a desire to have the written word inform the art, but in the making of the book, basically the process was inverted many times and I had to just kind of roll with the punches. And I ended up actually Utilizing the art to write about the people, so in some cases I made the art first before um, I wrote the entries, and it provided the some of the symbiotic continuity that you were talking about. And in you know the language I would use, it was a very spiritual experience making the art. The rest of it was just very kind of unsexy numbers crunching production, but the art itself was a really beautiful consistently beautiful experience.
0: George, uh, WH Auden said, I think it was he who said it, that at the age of 50, we get the faces that we, if not deserve, certainly reflect who we are. Um, Do you think that's true? I mean, maybe not at the age of 50, but at some point, do we get to look like who we are?
1: Well, I'm 51, so I can speak from experience. Yeah, I, I, I believe that you wear your life on your face. Absolutely. I think that is true.
0: And so coming back to Baldwin, um, how, how did he wear his life on his face and, and how does his image and the images, these these memorable images you drew of James Baldwin, how do they reflect his work and his life as a writer, as an activist?
1: Well, one point to make about the book, even though there are 145 pioneers, there are 350 pieces of art. And like the Baldwin entry, there are several pioneers that I decided to do multiple portraits of. And what I wanted to show was complexity. Um, Often our icons are reduced and flattened. And what I wanted to show is that he was a really complicated person. And I wanted to show him at different stages of his life and that he, his, his gifts to us was his re-education about life. And as a gay man, he stood kind of in between the communities in between the black and the gay and the white. And he always had, the word I use is lucid, he's always had a very lucid and clear sense of what this country was and what it wasn't. And I appreciated that his gayness kind of made him the person that he is. And I wanted to represent the mischievous and the puckish and the, um, you know, the the romantic side of him. uh, And as well as the intellectual and the academic that he was.
0: Um, Baldwin, of course, was... Deeply ambivalent about the United States as an experience Mm. and as an experiment. He spent a lot of his life in Europe. Another of the characters you draw memorably in the book is Nina Simone, who Mm. articulated the same ambivalence. Um, In terms of the Americanness of of this enterprise, what did you learn? You've, You've got relatives in Grenada. You're not purely American. No Americans, of course, are purely American. They came from somewhere else. What do you think this book tells us about Black American relations with America itself, or African American relations with America itself? Well, the relationship of
1: Black America to America is one of ambivalence. I think, you know... To put it blindly,
0: George, right?
1: Yeah, that's... I mean, I, I, I... yes um but it is it actually does straddle a line because i was tempering that by saying that we also have created a lot of the models of what justice and what creativity and what um, culture is at the same time we have given as much as we have had to be cautious um, about this country and so it continues to be a lesson in basically how to be an american that, you, that it can be complex. You can be critical of your country and love it at the same time. And people sometimes conflate the two or feel that one negates the other. But I think that both of them exist very comfortably and uncomfortably in the Black
0: America strata. It's very hard to take the injustice out of the Amer- African-American experience in America. Mm-hmm. One of the um, one of the people you represent in the book is Audre Lorde um, mm-hmm. radical African-American poet thinker we did a show um, with maisha Cherry a couple of years ago on uh, and, and she uses Audre Lorde centrally in her work uh, mm-hmm. the case for rage why anger is essential to anti-racist struggle yes um, when it comes to rage as a it- Interesting debate going on within the African American community. We also had Randall Kennedy on the show, who I think is against the idea of rage. But do you think, when it came or when it comes to representing African American faces, that the history of rage and of injustice is this something that you, as an artist, could you avoid it or was it always there somehow? Well,
1: you know, I I think that my answer is broader than the question you're asking. Uh, Just It's more the range of emotion that I have. I mean, we tend to kind of fixate on just very strangely uh, when we talk about Black people, we tend to fixate on anger and rage um, as a starting point in conversation. And I understand what it is you're asking me, but I think what I was more focused on was the complexity of emotion and the full range of emotion. Because we don't often afford the Black community that complexity, which is, you know, entrenched in, certainly in white culture, white people get to just be as they are and are accepted as they are. But somehow we're still always litigating the emotions of the Black community. And for me, it's like, you know, anger is one of the emotions that are really absolutely necessary in talking about, um, anti-racism, but it's not the focal, it's not the only emotion. And in this book, anger was alongside um, the, the spectrum. You know, one of my favorite portraits is of Anita Hill. I did two portraits of her.
0: Yeah, I was, I was actually one, very intrigued that Anita, I was surprised that Anita Hill was in this book. And
1: what I wanted to represent was basically the person who had to be really contrite and quiet um, as she was being litigated by Joe Biden and the rest of, of the people who were grilling her. Um, and then now, as she is, which is she just gets to be openly pissed because she is totally justified in be pissed that she was treated in this way. And I, I, I wanted to represent that people get to graduate into their public anger and that that is... An absolutely acceptable way of having the conversation about their own experience. Uh, We tend to kind of negate the emotions of the people that we're talking about, that they're supposed to be somehow above human emotion. But I love, you know, my portrait of Ida B. Wells also. It shows her pissed. She's angry. And
0: I'm like, I want to get to Ida later. She's pissed. Yeah. And I
1: love it. I love it. I was not not going to elevate people to showing these kind of icons of no emotion, which is how we tend to deify our public figures. I wanted to show them complicated and complex.
0: Well, certainly the Ida Wells presentation is complex, but as you say, pissed. I want to get to her later when we talk about American democracy. But speaking of Mm -hmm. being pissed, uh, you have three memorable um, portraits of the three of the founders of the Black Lives Matter movement. You write about this in the beginning of the book. How different do you think this book would have been if you'd have done, if you'd have done it before George Floyd?
1: Oh, well, that's the, the thing. This book was worked on before George Floyd. This book is not a response
0: to George Oh, interesting. Floyd.
1: I know, and, and, and the assumption is, because there are so many Black authors now, the context of how... We are discussing this. It's always, I find it really fascinating, the assumptions that are made about this book. Um, This book, I started working on this book before the 1619 Project came out. There was nothing in the landscape. So let me
0: reverse the question, George, then. If you were starting the project now, post Black Lives Matter, would would it be in any way different?
1: um you know that's a that is an interesting question i i mean i only have the context of working on this in a vacuum before you know so much of what we're talking about publicly is now we can take these things for granted um but i'd like to think that it would be in the same threshold uh, because i put a lot of thought into this project it's been six years of my life and so i feel like I'm sure there would be a lot of differences, but I believe I would have kind of stayed in the
0: same thoughtful realm that I inhabited in the making of this book. The book is defined by its text and by its, um, by its visuals. There's no music, and there are a number of musicians in the book, John Coltrane, and I mentioned um, Nina Simone. Does the book need, or should it be looked at with a soundtrack, George?
1: I mean, I would love that. I mean, I had a soundtrack as I was making, uh, making this book. Um, I drew on the, the diaspora of music. You know, I, I grew up in the Caribbean and New York. I grew up in the 80s. So I'm a child of listening to every possible form of music. Like I grew up listening to Bon Jovi and Whitesnake and Reds and Roses alongside... Um, you know all the rhythm and blues folks, the country folks. I grew up listening to country music, um, as as well as hip hop. So for me, it, and and there, it's all black music. You know, we can we can talk about the origin of musical forms in this country, but it, most of them have been created by the black community, and so all of those forms of music are the natural soundtrack for this for this book, and it's and its pioneers.
0: You're part of a tradition. You're a uh, Black artist. Uh, and you you feature some other Black artists, uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat, and also one that I hadn't known about, Romare Ramar Be- Bearden. But then I learned more mm-hmm. about him. We did a show with Glenda Gilmore, who has a wonderful yes. new book out about uh, Bearden called uh, yes. Romare Bearden in the, home of his Im- in the Homeland of His Imagination. How do you yes. feel part of the tradition, George? Do you feel as if you are um, in the next generation or a few steps from, uh, from, from the Basquats and the Beardens of the world? Uh, no,
1: I don't, I don't think of myself in that way. Um, what, I, what I wanted to do, most of the artists in this book are rendered in the style of their own making you know, I really wanted to kind of immerse each of them in their own style, uh, which was a kind of interactive way of thinking about this. Like even the, um, the idea of having each portrait be rendered in a separate distinct style, that was something that I brought into this and I wanted, I wanted each person to be individualized and I used their style of art making to produce that but i I don't think of myself in the same category that i think that would be a little
0: obnoxious of me right now presumptuous well i can (laughs) and then i won't be obnoxious so let's talk a little bit about you you brought up Ida wells earlier Uh, Uh um we've done a number of shows on american voting and american Mm -hmm. quote unquote democracy a democracy of Mm -hmm. course that wasn't very democratic especially when absolutely African-Americans weren't able to vote. We did a show with Martha Jones, for example, Vanguard on how Black women broke barriers, won the vote, and insisted on equality for all, and in which um, uh, Ida Wells was a central character. How important is the idea, the promise, and in some ways, the fraud, the lie of democracy in this book?
1: Well, referencing your earlier question, I I think that we also kind of hold that line. I think that is one of the reasons that the Black community is an an antibody in the United States, is that we don't allow lies to sit without responding to them. And we respond with protests, we respond with new movements, we respond with our art and our culture. But we're the ones who are always saying, uh, "Actually, guys, that's not true." <laughs> that is but you must, true. Uh, uh, George, you have, uh,
0: But your community, like any community, has lies of its own. No, no community exists just in truth. Yes, but we're speaking about
1: the larger lie yeah. of America. That's that's specific to this. So it's, in a,
0: in, a, in an odd way, and I, this has been said many times before, much more poetically than I'm about to express it. But you are the, in an odd way, the the conscience of America.
1: I I think so, which is which is not you know which is a lot of work and a a burden. It's not something that I think that we should be, but I think in some respects we are.
0: Some of the characters in the book, uh, many of them actually, I have to admit, I'm no expert on this. I hadn't heard of Gwinnie Stewart Blueford, for example, an engineer, and astronaut. Fanny Jackson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, these are all remarkable people that we probably should know more about. The, the book yes. is called um, Honouring the Iconic and the Unseen. How would you break the, you know, over 100 or 300 people, you know, 300 works of art in the, in the book, between the iconic and the unseen? Can you be iconic and unseen simultaneously? Or are the unseen, should the unseen be more iconic? And perhaps the uh, iconic more unseen
1: yes no i think that that is a fantastic question um you know i think there are more unseen people than iconic in this book which was my intention i wanted to throw a spotlight on more than the kind of five to ten faces that are rolled out every black history month yeah um and really kind of show the range of you know every Everyone from scientists to doulas, to nurses, to doctors, I just really wanted to show, I didn't just want to focus on culture. I, I wanted to really show the range of our contributions. And, um, and I, I, be- I believe that you can be iconic and also unseen. There are a lot of the people in the book that I selected, not because of what they're known for, but there was an aspect of their life that I really wanted to kind of dig into. Um, that reveals a different facet of them. Even if it's a famous person, the write-up of them isn't necessarily about what you associate with their success.
0: I mean, you're in a sense, God in this project, George. You decided who got into heaven and who didn't. Were there some people you got pleasure out of leaving out? I, 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 don't rem- I, I don't remember seeing MLK or Malcolm X or Muhammad Ali in the book. Nope,
1: nope, nope, nope. So the introduction of the book has several portraits of people who are not in the book. And basically, that was me addressing them. Um, You know, I have MLK, Malcolm X, Harriet Tubman, Prince, Kamala Harris. And it was all to say, basically, this is not fantasy football. I'm not not giving you the greatest hits of Black culture, because that's often what this conversation is reduced to. And I wanted to show that it was much more interesting and complex than that. And I had them in there just to show that it was it was a decision to not have them in the book um, and that I had my reasons for doing that. And the introduction hopefully explains that.
0: You didn't have a central committee deciding, voting on who got in and who didn't. And it was all your decision. It was me. And do you regret leaving anyone out if you're doing it again would it be someone you'd put in?
1: Oh, I mean, my goal is to do more of these, is to do... I, I have an original list of close to 500 names. So there's a lot of people who I could not include in this that I want to include in future um, future editions.
0: Are there areas that perhaps are underrepresented in the Black experience? I saw an interesting review uh, from you of... Uh, 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 Keith Corbyn, the uh, the 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 chef's searing memoir about how cooking saved him from his past. Should uh, should we be thinking beyond politics, beyond music, beyond art, beyond literature, and be looking at other areas?
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the things I um, there are a couple of doulas that I have in the book. It, basically, I it was just positioning something that is just kind of an invisible truth that black women have raised a lot of white America and that these women are not given their due. And and I wanted to place them alongside Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, alongside the other pioneers, Ida B. Wells, to say that we don't always think about, you know, the service industry um, in the same way that we think about titans of culture. And I was saying that if if we're talking about the black community, we can't just think about it in binary ways. We have to really make sure that the experiences we're talking about reflect our human experiences.
0: Do you think someone could come out with a a parallel illustrated white history without being racist? Well, you know, just the
1: language of of that. I, I don't know that anyone would. You know? Well, someone <laughs>
0: probably would. <laughs> I mean, it it just as, as a response someone would to, want to, to they this, may not get published.
1: Yeah, to, to this book, you know. But basically, we we've had that. We've, we've had a lot of. I mean, yeah. the language it hasn't been named that, but basically, that's what museums we've, are. We've, right? We've had that. That's what museums and galleries are. We've, we've had that for hundreds of years, and so it's not even about if it's racist or not. We've been in this soup for hundreds of years and so that's a kind of a moot question for me it's not to me it's not a real question because i'm just kind of like that's actually what we've been attending to
0: well let me try with a a better question george a real question um you wrote an interesting piece in the uh in the chronicle recently about um, and you and i are both residents of the Bay Area. You, you, you argue that the Bay Area's black community is drowning in the tears of white people. How would you like white people to approach this book? Maybe not to cry, to avoid tears?
1: Well, the context of that, there's a piece missing from, um, the context was specifically after George Floyd's murder. And the responses that I and every black person that I knew it, I thought it was just my experience. And then I thought it was just my, my circles experience. And then I realized that everyone I was speaking to was having this experience. And so I wrote the essay in response to that, to the, those few months that we were all kind of in this bubble of time, that COVID just slowed everything down, that we were all just Mm -hmm. focused, on this single subject of police violence against the black community. And so that's what that was in, that's what that essay is specifically about.
0: But is this book designed for white people as-
1: It absolutely differently is.
0: Differently from black, I mean, it's, it's a tricky subject as you, you know this better than I do. Yeah, but
1: I, I think that the, what I made, my point in making this book was to make it accessible. And the main thing is I didn't want anyone to feel bad, black or white or anyone else, that people didn't know everyone in the book. It was really meant to be just like opening the doors of the windows and inviting you in and giving you the information that you should know. And I don't want to beat anyone over the head with a sense of righteousness around, well, you should know this. That's not how I feel. There's just a lot of information in our history that white and black people should know. And this book was designed for them.
0: Well, finally, George, I'm going to ask you a particularly unfair question, but it's my show, just as it's your book. Do you have a favorite? If, if the book was burning or your house was burning down, you can only take one illustration. Which one would it be?
1: I've been asked this, this, this question more consistently than anyone else, and I respond the same way. I'm too close to it. I would be dishonest if I told you a favorite, because that's just not how I feel.
0: It's like, you've, do you have kids?
1: I do not have kids, but
0: you That's know, like I think even, Who's your with, even my child? friends
1: with kids—they have their favorites. They
0: have their favorites. So you have your favorite. You're just not willing to acknowledge it. Exactly.